be going through verses uh, 7 through 12 this morning. As uh, Phil was sharing announcements about these book studies, I was just thinking, you know, part of this is you have to do like a holy sales job, like try to encourage people to grow, you know. And I I guess what I'm going to do is maybe take a little different angle. If you don't really want to grow in godliness, just stay home, okay? Don't join one of these book clubs. Like, I get it. Like, if you don't want to grow in working hard as unto the Lord and honoring Him, do not go to Phil's class. Just stay home and watch Sports Center or something like that. And then, if you feel like you already know how to read your Bible and you don't want to grow in understanding the Bible at all, you know, um, don't come to mine because you'll grow if you come to it. So do what you want. All that to say is they're great book studies. Um, Great book studies. And I know a lot of folks have already jumped in um, into these already. I know a lot of the ladies have started theirs up all, already and all that kind of stuff. But if you are interested, I know the guys' studies are, will be starting up on Wednesdays in June. And so come talk to me. Come talk to Phil. If you've got to buy one of the books, today's the last day to buy it if you're going to buy it from us. So with that being said, we're now going to turn to God's Word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together like this. Lord, we thank you for summertime. We thank you for the opportunity for kids to go to school for the last nine to ten months and then to have a break. Um, Lord, I ask that you would bless us as a church as we walk through this summertime together. Bless us this morning as we jump into your word Lord, your word is living and active. It always accomplishes your good purposes. We ask that your word here this morning would accomplish your good purposes in us, that we would grow. We would grow in our love for you. We'd grow in our love for others. We'd grow in a passion to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. And so, Lord, please bless our ears. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to understand and love your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have two questions for us to kind of think about this morning. These aren't new questions, but um, I, I do think they're important questions. One is this, what does love mean? What does love mean? And then what does it mean to love one another? And I came across an article on the internet where they were kind of talking about this thing and a group of professionals gathered together a group of four to eight year old kids and they asked them one of those questions. They asked them, what does love mean? And so here are some of their answers. Now remember, these are kids, children ages four to eight. So Rebecca, age eight, said this. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Billy, age four, said this. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. I thought that was insightful. Terry, age four, says, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. 
Danny, age seven, said, Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy, and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. Emily, age eight, said, Love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. Nika, age six, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend that you hate. Tommy, age six, said, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Chris, age seven, said, Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsome. Elaine, age five, said, Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. There's just a bunch of these. I could keep going on, but there's two more. Mary Ann, age four, said, Love is, this is a good one. How many people have a dog? Just raise it up real high, because I know you're proud of your, your dog. Okay, I'm not a dog person not a pet person. It's not that I don't like dogs and I don't want to be a pet person. I just don't want to have one in my house for a long period of time. But I'm okay with my friends having them and me being able to go over there. Like, for example, the Dennerts have a puppy. They brought it by church and I, I petted it, just so you know. I like those. Anyways, this, this one is for you. I think you'll get this. So Marianne, age four, said, Love is when your puppy licks your face. After you left him alone all day. That's one of my favorite ones, even though I'm not a pet person. And then this one's the last one where she just shares a story in this article. It says, author and lecturer Leo Biscaglia, not related to the Battaglias, once talked about a contest he was asked to judge. The purpose of the contest was to find the most caring child. The winner was a four-year-old child whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. Upon seeing the man cry, the little boy went into the old gentleman's yard, climbed onto his lap, and he just sat there. When his mother asked what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said, nothing. I just helped him cry. So these are four- and eight-year-old young boys and young girls trying to answer the question, what does it mean to love? And so they didn't really give us a specific definition, but what they did is, is they were able to look out at life and see it. They were able to see it on display. They were able to explain it in some way. And I just think they have a way of, of simplifying life. I like those things. I hope you enjoyed them as well. I share them with you just to kind of get your attention, to be thinking about love and to get you thinking about how do you answer that question? What is love and what does it mean to love one another? What does it mean for you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? What does it mean for you to love your family? What does it mean for you to love everybody that you come in contact with today? And the reason I ask this is because it's really important. It's something that we've been called to by God to live out each and every day, not just once in a while, not just when we're around people we kind of like to be around, but when we're around everyone, when we gather in a context like this, or when we show up to a neighborhood HOA meeting, 
Or when you show up to class or work or wherever it is, we're called to love one another. And the Bible has a lot to say about us loving one another and what love is. Probably the most famous chapter on love is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's what it says as it defines love for us. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And John has written this letter And in it, he has talked about love several times. This is not the first time that he's bringing up this call for us as believers to love one another. In 1 John 2.10, he said, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And then in 1 John 3, if you can, just kind of flip over there a page... 1 John 3, 11 through 24, he says the following. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. So he's just saying, this isn't a new message. This is something you've, you've been hearing and you've heard about from the beginning. Well, what's that message? That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one who murdered his brother Cain. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. By this we know love. How do we know love? That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. And so John's been trying to get this point across to us, his readers, his original readers, that, that, that this is how we know that we are actually believers. And one of those things is that we actually love people. We actually seek to 
love those that are around us. And so he's drawing attention to that, and he's not done yet. And this isn't a really long letter. It's not a long letter, but he's addressing love again in the section we're going to look at this morning. And so the one that we're going to look at is chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. So please look with me as I read it. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What we're going to learn from those few verses that I just read is this simple truth. Since God is love, we must love one another. Since God is love, we must love one another. And we're going to dig into this truth by taking a look at three points this morning. In our first point, we learn this, that love is rooted and grounded in God. Love is rooted and grounded in God. Christians must love one another because God is love. Again, verses 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, or I'm sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The command for us to love one another, it is rooted and grounded in the truth that love is from God. It's from Him. He's the source of all true and genuine love. This is where love, real, genuine, true love comes from and flows out of. He's trying to help us see and understand here that the source of all real, genuine love, it comes not from us. Not from somewhere else in this world. Not from a movie or some other book that you're going to read, but its source is from God. This love is present and it's active in all true and genuine believers because, as John tells us, God abides in all genuine, true believers through his spirit. This is why John tells us whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's a a sign. It's a sign that, that God has actually saved someone. It, it looks like something. Recently, I had a friend of mine ask me to participate in a 360 review. And this was the first time I ever did this, one for somebody, and it was fun. Didn't take long, but it was just this massive word bank. I'm sure some of you have done this for people or participated in this, but it was just like seven different word banks. And it was click as many as you want to describe this person and then they get the results and they can do whatever they want with them. But, but as I, after I did that, I just started thinking about this and trying to think about 
the people around me, and then I started thinking about my own life, like, and I just was wondering, like, what words would my friends pick about me? Because there's tons of them, really positive ones, and there's some sort of neutral ones, and then there's those ones that you just wish your friends don't pick about you, but you kind of know, like, maybe that's me a little bit sometimes. Catch me on a bad day, they're going to be there. But anyways, the point of this is, is if we were doing a word bank for us, doing a review of us as believers, and I want you to kind of think about yourself in this way, would love be picked for you? Meaning, would your mom and dad, would your brother or sister, would the people that you get to work with, would your neighbors that you interact with, would, would they go through that word bank and every section, would they, would they pick love? Would they say, this person is a loving person most of the time. This person is someone who just constantly is giving away their life, looking to serve others so that others may experience the good of God and the things that God has. Would that be describing you? See, what John's trying to say here is that all genuine believers should be described by this word. This character trait should be existing in the life of every believer. And if it is, you should have great confidence that you indeed have been saved by God. That you actually know God and that he actually abides in you. Because when he abides in us through his spirit, it's naturally going to produce love. It produces Christ-like character. That's how the grace of God works. It, it seeks to put to death the sin in our life that remains. It exposes it and it begins to make us more and more like Christ and invites us into that process. And what John is trying to say, love should be there. It should be there. Daniel Atkin wrote the following. He says, real love, true love, always has its source in God. And whoever loves with a God kind of love gives evidence that they have been born of God. Now, when he says loves with a God kind of love, what what he's saying there, he's trying to help us understand this this word agape, which which just means self-giving. So when you think about a God kind of love, it's never selfish. Never selfish in the way we think about selfish. It's self-giving. Constantly self-giving for the benefit of others that they might experience the blessings of God. And so when you want to think about it most clearly, and we'll get there in the next point more, but but when you want to think about God-like kind of love, think about God giving His only Son to die on a cross for our sins. Think about your God, Jesus, the Son of God, dying on a cross, shedding his blood, his body being broken, taking the punishment that we deserve so that we might be forgiven and experience and receive eternal life. That's God kind of love that Daniel Atkins sort of drawing attention to. Regeneration, he says, the new birth, being born again, unites spiritually dead, selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart so that his life becomes our life and his love becomes our love. See, when God saves us, he radically changes us, 
radically changes us by making us alive together with Jesus. Once we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, pouring out his grace, he made us alive. Changes. He takes dead hearts and he makes them new. He breathes life into us. And as he breathes this life into us, what John is trying to help us see, it begins to look a lot like Christ. And in this case, it, it begins to look a lot like love. A constant self-giving for the good of those around us. And what he wants us to see is, is this comes from God. We don't make this stuff up. God gives this to us and he calls for us to sort of fan it into a flame and, and to grow in it. But the source is God himself. Think about heat from a fire. Okay, That, that heat doesn't exist on its own, does it? The fire is consuming whatever it is, typically wood in some ways, and, and because of that, heat, heat's produced. And so in the same way, when we think about love, love is like that heat. Love is produced from God. God gives us this. It's his mercy and his grace that he pours out upon us. It's his spirit who's at work in us. And so we need to see and understand real, true, genuine love finds its source in God. And the reason for this is because God is love. So it doesn't just come from him. It comes from him because that's who he is. He defines love for us by his very nature. See, God's love, it's more than a feeling and an act of goodwill towards us. It's who he is. David Allen wrote the following. He says, it is his settled disposition towards us that flows from his being, nature, and divine attributes. I think definitions are important. I, I love the way the kids sort of answer that. You know, like the puppy one sort of makes sense. When you put it in its crate and you leave it all day to go off and do your job and whatever. And it's just stuck there. But when you get home and you open that crate and that thing gets out and it just goes crazy and it licks you on the face. According to that kid, that's what love is. It's real exciting, but I like the way David Allen says it. It's not, it's not as picturesque, but, but I think we need to know this. It's his settled disposition. It's who he is, love, towards us that flows from his being, nature, and divine attributes. He's just trying to say, it's just who he is. God is love. Our love is usually a response. If you think about it, our love is, is typically a response to someone or something. Typically when they do something good for us, our love for them seems to grow. At least emotionally. And then vice versa. If they don't do anything nice for us, it's really kind of hard to, to love that person. But what David Allen's trying to help us understand and what John's trying to help us understand is, is that's not how God's love works. Because he is love. It's his settled disposition. It's his nature. His love is not dependent on someone or something being valuable, for it is rooted and grounded in who he is. I love this about God. I love that his love for us is not dependent upon who we are or what we do. It's just who he is. 
And everything he does is also rooted and grounded in this love because it's who he is. He creates in love. He rules in love. He judges in love. Everything he does is done in love because it's who he is. This is why John commands us as believers, men and women who know God, who've been saved by God, to love one another. It's also why John tells us that anyone who does not love doesn't really know God. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to actually love perfectly, but, but it does mean that, that love should be one of those things, if they're doing that 360 review, should be checked in your life. Because if you know God, it's just going to show up. Because it's who God is, and what he's teaching us here, God abides in us, therefore it produces this. That's the amazing thing about grace. It's a free gift. It means that our love for others, the people we like, and even our enemies, the people we don't like, isn't necessarily supposed to be dependent upon all those things, the value that we place upon them. Genuine love for others is rooted and grounded in God. And what this means is that we can actually love enemies then. We can actually love people we don't like because that source of that love is not found in the value we place upon people, but it's found in God himself. We can love people who are different than us because our love for them is not contingent upon them being like us. It's contingent upon who God is. And we know from this scripture that he's love. And see, this is where, when I think about it, and this is how I feel like John wants us to really think about it in this way, is, is does love characterize my life? And as you just kind of live out your life this next week, just think about all the people you interact with. And just ask yourself this question. Do I love this person? The way I do it sometimes, I'll just think, it's like, why do I love this person? It's weird, but that's how my mind works sometimes in this way. I'll just be like, I really, I really love this person. I just try to think about it from a different perspective. I come around, I'll think, I'm like, but why do I love this person? And I would say one of the main reasons, the only reason, is because God is love. He's at work in me, and I'm going to probably say for you that you're going to find the same thing. Is The reason you love the people in this room and the reason... You love people who are mean to you at times or you hurt you in some way. It's because that's who God is and he's at work in you and he abides in you and he's producing this. Our second point, we learned that this love is seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to talk about love. It's one thing to communicate our love for others with our words. But at the end of the day, if it's really love, then it's got to look like something. It's got to look like something. In verse 9 and 10, John shows us God's love. So if God is love, well, how can we see it? Well, verse 9, he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was made clear, and it was made obvious to the eye. In this, you're able to see the love of God, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how do we know that God is love? 
How do we know that he actually loves us? That's one of those questions we wrestle with at times. Okay, so I know God is love, and I think, okay, we'll all agree with that, but a lot of people, we all seem to wrestle at times with, but does he really love me? And we begin to look at all these different things, and we start to think about our lives and and all the bad things that have happened to us and the suffering that we might experience. And we can look over here at our friends and it's like, why is their life not as hard as mine? And then sometimes we just find ourselves going, it's because God doesn't really love me. God must be really angry with me at this point in my life for something crazy that I did. And, And what John would say is, I don't I don't know that you're looking at it the right way. I don't think you really understand the love of God because if you want to see the love of God, don't look at your bank account. Don't look at your health. Look at Jesus. That's where you're going to see the love of God most clearly, most obviously. So when we look at Jesus, what, what do we see? Well, we see that God took the initiative. So we're thinking about love here. We see that God took the initiative. He sent His Son, His only Son, into this world to save us. That's love. He did that because He is love and He loves you. He didn't have to do that necessarily. But in God's wisdom, that's His plan to save His people, those whom He loved. And he didn't send Jesus into a world that was loving him. He sent him into a world that was full of his enemies, men and women who were dead in their sins, rejecting him. People like us. But God so loved us, he sent his only son. And so there's another element about God's love that I want you to see is that he's generous. When you think about God's love for you, it's it's he moving first towards you, and then it's generous. His only son. His only son. He sent himself, God the Son, into this world to die on a cross to save you. So how do we know that God loves us? We look at Jesus. And then he goes on to say that that we might live through him. And then he tells us that he sent Jesus to be the propitiation. For our sins. That's kind of one of those big words, but I would say, and every time it comes up in Scripture, I'd say, memorize that word. Memorize its definition. It it means to appease the wrath of God. And so what that means is that we have a holy, loving God who looks to punish sin, who's a just God. And so he's got his wrath, and he has to pour it out upon those who have sinned against him. And instead, he chose to pour it out upon his son. And so the definition I like to work with comes from Jerry Bridges, who said, when you think about propitiation, think about Jesus exhausting the wrath of God, taking all of that punishment that you deserve for your sins and pouring it out upon Jesus, and Jesus taking all of it, leaving none of it left. So instead of God pouring out his wrath upon those whom he saves, instead he pours out his mercy. So you see, it's self-giving. When we're thinking about love, it's it's generous, it initiates, it's self-giving, and we see it clearly in Jesus Christ. So when you ask this question, does God love me? We answer it by saying, yes, 
Well, how do I know? Because he crushed his son to save you. And you're not a good person when he did this. It says you were one of his enemies, an object of his wrath. But instead of pouring out that wrath upon you, he chose to pour it out upon his son so that you might be saved, so that you might be forgiven, so that he might abide in you and that he might produce his character in you so that you might be able to love as he has created you to love. In our third point, we see that love is perfected in us when we love one another. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So what John is saying here is if God is love and has loved us in this way by sending his only son to die for us, then we must love one another in the same way. If we truly know God and he abides in us, then his love will be manifested in and through us as we love one another. No one has seen God. You catch glimpses of his glory. You can read about it in scripture when he revealed his glory to folks and it was overwhelming. But God in his wisdom has chosen to reveal himself to the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And what John is saying now is also through his people. Not in the same way in Christ, but, but he's, he's choosing to reveal himself to the world around us through the way in which we relate to one another and this world. John Stott says, mutual Christian love is the evidence that the unseen God who was once revealed in his son is now being revealed in his people when they love one another. Every time you love someone, every time you love someone, God is being revealed to the world in just a small way. Every time you lay down your life to serve Someone around you. The world is catching a glimpse of the glory of God. Every time you forgive someone who has offended you, God is being revealed. Every time you're kind to someone, God is being revealed. Every time you're being patient with your kids, God's being revealed. Every time... You seek forgiveness. Humble yourself. God is being revealed. Every time you're generous towards someone else, God is being revealed. Every time you consider the interest of others more important than your own and lay your life down to serve those around you, God is being revealed. See, God's wise. Always doing the right thing at the right time with the right amount of effort. And in his wisdom, he has chosen to save people like us. He's chosen to pour out his spirit upon his church. He's chosen to abide in us and produce his character in us through his spirit and allow for us to relate with one another in the ways in which we relate with one another, that we might glorify him, that he might be made known in this world. 
every single time you genuinely love someone, in the same way in which God has loved you, God is revealing himself to the people around us. So since God is love, church, let us love one another. Let us get excited about laying down our lives. When you don't want to lay down your lives, when you don't want to do that thing where you have to give yourself away, think about God's love for you. This is a daily battle. This isn't just like a once in a wild type of thing, but it it takes effort. It takes thought. It takes the spirit at work in us. Think about God sending his son because he loves you, Jesus, into this world, not to be worshipped, but to be killed. To serve you, so that you might be forgiven, that you might receive eternal life. And may the good news about Jesus motivate the way in which we love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us, that you'd bless us, that you'd help us. Help us, Lord, to love one another. Lord, to Give of ourselves for the good of others. Help us to put to death pride and selfishness. That we might honor you in all that we do, all that we say. And most of all, Lord, as we leave here, Lord, we are most grateful that you have first loved us. That you sent Jesus to save us. And so, Lord, may you receive all the glory from our lives In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, May the Lord bless you. May he pour out his spirit in abundance upon you. Have a great Sunday.